Hey everybody, thanks for listening to this episode of My First Sketch. I'm Josh Hyland. If you haven't done so already, you can subscribe to the show, Apple Podcasts, Google, SoundCloud, Stitcher, Amazon, Spotify, it's all over the place. Be really cool if you rate it five stars, leave a review, wherever you get it. Like the podcast on Facebook, facebook.com slash myfirstsketch. Follow along on Twitter at myfirstsketch. Head to myfirstsketch.com where I'll post any of the videos that we talk about on today's episode. Any questions, thoughts, recommendations, feel free to email me at josh at myfirstsketch.com and I'll get back to you in a timely fashion. Today's guest is J.P. McElyer, currently a member of Bad Medicine based out of Washington, D.C. Bad Medicine is hosting Sketch Night featuring Philly's High Drama and D.C.'s Brick Penguin on Saturday, April 9th at the D.C. Improv. Two shows, a 7.30 and a 9.45. Tickets and more information are available at dcimprov.com. JP's first sketch is called May I Take Your Order. JP reads the role of Bob, the server, Stephanie, the patron, and Harry, a second waiter who makes a brief cameo. I read John, who is Stephanie's husband, the robber at the end of the sketch, and I'll give you all the visual information that you need to know. So let's go to the sketch. A husband and wife are eating at a roadway diner. Hi, I'm Bob, and I'll be your server today. Can I get you guys some drinks to start you off? I'll just have a glass of water, please. Do you have Coke? I'm sorry, we only carry Pepsi products. I don't understand why every restaurant only has Pepsi. What happened to a nice glass of Coca-Cola? Okay, then. What about root beer? Do you have that? We do indeed, sir. Then I'll have root beer, please. Coming right up, sir. Thanks. What a nice waiter. Yeah, so let's see. They have hamburgers, sliders, hot dogs, pulled pork sandwiches. Is it me or does everything on the menu come in a bun? What about the quesadillas? Well, they come in a tortilla, which is essentially another type of bun. I wouldn't call a tortilla a bun. It's more of a shell. Does it hold the main part of the meal? Well, yes, but... Bun. John, really? I'm back and I've got your drinks. Wow, that was fast. That's what I call service. Why, thanks, ma'am. Bob the waiter smiles profusely. A glass of water for you, ma'am, and for the gentleman, a root beer. Good choice, sir. Thanks. Are you ready to order yet? Yeah, I'll have the... Oh, no. What? I'm so sorry, sir. So sorry. What is it? This has never happened to me before. Get it together, Bob. Get it together. What's the issue? I forgot to tell you the specials. This is just embarrassing. I'm so sorry. I mean, so sorry. It's fine, really. I, I think we know what we want, so it's no big deal. But it is. You see, I have failed you as a server. My job is to make you, the customers, customers are given all the information needed to make the most satisfying order possible, and I failed you. No, it's, it's really all right. R- really? Really. Forget about it. Thank you so much. Thank you. I practically falls to his knees. In case you guys are enticed, our special today is our French onion soup. Wow, something without a bun. I'm sorry, sir? Nothing. I'll have the sliders, please. You get the choice of two sides with that. What sides are there? We have coleslaw, fries, onion rings, or... Or? Damn it, Bob. Get it together. There's one more, but I seem to have forgotten. I'm, I'm sorry. Yeah, Bob's about to apologize profusely on his knees again, but it's cut off by John. No, no trouble, no trouble. I'll just have the fries and the coleslaw. Okay, I'm on it. And I'll just have the Caesar salad, please. Excellent choice, ma'am. Excellent choice. I'll be right back with those orders. If you need anything before, then let me know. Thanks. No, really. If you need anything, any help, I'm on it. Just holler and bam, I'm here. We're, we're fine. Thanks. Bob leaves. A bit of an enthusiastic waiter, wouldn't you say? I think he's nice. I wish all waiters were that attentive. Sure. Attentive is nice, but I'd like some privacy. I mean, I don't like someone hanging over me while I eat. It makes me very uncomfortable. He's just doing his job. Bob is spotted at a distant table. He waves and smiles at John and Stephanie. John hesitantly waves back and Stephanie smiles. My God, he's watching us. He's just being nice. Hey ho, can I get you two some refills? Oh, no, thanks. I'm fine. As am I. Righto, then I'll be back in a few minutes with your food. Bob leaves again. Actually, on second thought, I, I could use a, a refill. He hails a, a random waiter passing by. Excuse me? Y- yes, sir. Can I help you? 
Can I have another root beer, please? Uh, right away, sir. Thanks. You see, that's service. He isn't too personal and he gets the job done. So let's discuss something worthwhile for once. How's work? Is it me or is Bob walking past our table every few seconds? Bob has been walking back and forth constantly looking to, to see if they need anything. John, what are you talking about? He's walking back and forth past our table. Oh, he is. That's a bit odd. There, he, he left. Here are your drinks, a root beer for the gentleman and water for the lady. Very much appreciate it. Hey, I thought you guys looked thirsty, so I brought you some refills. Oh, you already have refills. Yeah, another waiter took care of it. Don't worry. Another waiter? Yeah, forget about it. I see. Well, I'll be back with your food. Bob leaves again. John, you hurt his feelings. Bob returns. Just one question. Yes? Which which waiter was it? I'm sorry? Which waiter brought you those refills? Uh, I think it was that one. Harry, was it? Excuse me for a moment. Bob can be seen pulling Harry into another room. A sudden clanging of dishes is heard, and a few screams. A satisfied Bob re-enters the main dining hall. Harry does not. Harry won't bother you guys anymore. Don't worry. What was all the racket? Oh, Harry dropped some dishes, that's all. We'd call him Butterfingers because he's always dropping things. Yeah, not the kind of waiter you want to have if you ask me. Wouldn't be surprised if you finally learned this isn't the job for him and left through the back door and never returned. Nope, I wouldn't be surprised if we didn't see him again. Uh, now I'll, I'll go check in on your orders. Need anything else? Um, We're fine, thank you. Bob exits. Stephanie, this guy is nuts. He is taking out other waiters. What are you talking about? He just takes pride in his work. You really shouldn't have asked another waiter to bring you a refill. That was rude. Stephanie, listen to me. I think we should leave. Here you go. Oh, here is our food. Thanks so much, Bob. Just doing my job. Bob breaks into a large smile. For you, the Caesar salad. And for you, sir, the sliders with a side of coleslaw and fries. Now, is there anything else you guys need? I mean, anything at all. If you need extra ketchup, I got it. If you need another set of refills, I got it. If you need your food to be cut, I'll get a knife and I'll do it for you. If you... Bob, we're good. Gotcha. Bob leaves again. Wasn't this nice. Stephanie, I think we should eat our food, get the check, and leave as soon as possible. This waiter's giving me really bad vibes. What are you talking about, bad vibes? Bob seems like a fine young gentleman. Uh, Bob re-enters, but John doesn't notice. He's crazy. I mean, come on, Stephanie. He's a lunatic. Don't you think he's taking his job a little too seriously? It's making me incredibly uncomfortable. I'm crazy? Wow, I was just trying to be helpful. I mean... Bob starts to get emotional. I just want the customer to be, you know, happy and all. Anyways... Here's a refill for you, sir. I'm just going to get out of your way. Bob walks away from the table, clearly hurt from what John said. John. Bob, wait. I didn't mean it that way. Just a little stress, okay? I mean, I just finished driving for eight hours straight and need to let off some steam. That's all. Thank you. That means a lot to me. Now, may I please have the check? Of course, sir. I live to serve. The front door bursts open. A man enters the diner, waving a gun around. All right, everyone on the ground. I got this. Rob is seen ready to throw his tray at the robber and blackout. Where there's lightning, there's thunder. Where there's trouble, there's Donder. Meet Donder. I'm Donder. A.K.A. Jeff. Maybe we can work together someday. That would be a dream come true. Jeff wants to be a superhero. You got a pen? Uh, uh, yeah, in my fanny pack. But he's not very super. Help! He has one chance to prove himself. My name is Candace. I'm with Nondescript. That's the biggest super agency in the city. But will that be enough? What if I'm not very good at picking teammates? Here's the plan. I punch him. Then I punch him. I'll pull off his penis punch. and punch him punch. in the balls with it. When we put so much into becoming someone we never become, we forget one important thing. I, I, I've been chasing one thing for so long, I, I don't even know who I am without it. We never stop becoming. Listen to Tights on SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google, and Stitcher. Hey, I'm AJ Schrader, and I believe everyone has a story worth telling. 
and also that I should potentially profit off of their stories. That's why I started the podcast I Wrote You a Pilot, where each episode I talk to a not-yet-famous person about their television interest and then make them read a television pilot I hastily wrote for them with the hopes of catching the eyes of the president of television. It's available on most major podcast platforms, or you can find out more directly at iwroteyouapilot.podbean.com. Are you a fan of sketch comedy like Monty Python, Key and Peele, and Saturday Night Live? Have you ever wondered why their sketches are funny? Or maybe why that certain sketch didn't make you laugh? On the comedy podcast Sketch Nerds, we aim to answer those questions while having fun talking about the history and craft of sketch comedy. Every episode features a guest to help us break down our favorite sketches, as well as those submitted by listeners like you. So come nerd out with us and listen to Sketch Nerds at badmedicinecomedy.com slash sketchnerds. Hey, JP. Hello. So tell me about this sketch. Tell me about May I Take Your Order. This is a long one. Yeah. Well, you asked, <laughs> you asked for my first sketch. And I was like, I could take something that was a little, you know, tighter. Or I could give you the rawest of the raw. Um, and this is technically the first sketch I ever wrote. Um, a few interesting things about it is I, I wrote it before I knew what really I was writing a sketch. I thought it was going to be like a bit of a miniature play. Mm -hmm. And um, I wrote it over probably a couple of years from like 2012 to 2014 when I was in college. And um, I just would add to it every now and then. It was based off a real story when I was in a diner and there was a, it was a TGI Fridays. And uh, my mom and I had this waitress who was like really into it um almost like based bob is based off this waitress like really just on top of it like if you need anything i'm on it and i just remember thinking hey that's kind of funny maybe i could write some mm -hmm. something about it and uh that's where this started just sort of as a side project never been performed never been revised <laughs> <laughs> um it's one of those things where sometimes when you go to those restaurants and you might be like one of two tables that they have at the moment and they're just way too attentive of you like i feel like that's a very universal uh experience for people like i'm very much on the, the side of john here like mm. you don't need to come back <laughs> like <laughs> you got me your drinks if you see that my drinks empty maybe but other than that i'll be okay like uh so why did you write this so i've done a lot of acting i came from a theater background um, mm -hmm. and we we i'd done some writing in like intro theater courses and i did some creative writing but i was looking to see like oh maybe i could write something that i could kind of perform with others um which i guess i guess is sketch comedy as i later found out um and i just started writing it down to see um, i wanted to write the next um it was loosely based off sort of Seinfeld kind of being like about nothing, you know, they yeah. have that conversation at the beginning where it's like about buns and that was very Seinfeld-esque. Um, so I didn't really have a, too much of a goal. I just wanted to get something down and see if something happened. You kind of sketch comedy more from the performance side, like at least to begin with, like you're an actor more, or at least originally more so than a writer. Yeah, yeah. I definitely started as an actor um, in the theater world. I did some writing. Well, I did stand up, so I guess I'd write mm -hmm. uh, for that. And that was really the first comedy writing I did. Um, sure. Yeah. Because uh, I always curious about coming that way because there's a lot of, I'm not used to it. I'll say it that way. In, in Philadelphia, it never seems that... Um, or at least like, you know, the people that I know come to sketch comedy as writers and performers together, or like, I don't feel like, you know, in my time in Philadelphia, we have a lot of teams where it is writers, you know, on one side and performers on another. So it always catches me off guard when, you know, a team like Bad Medicine, who, you know, I've, I've grown to know last couple of years, have people that are more writers or more performers, like, I'm just not used to that setup. And, but like at the same time, all of the TV shows of sketch comedy are that way. Like 
there's a writer's room and then there's cast. I'm not like in Philadelphia, it's all like, it feels like we're always all together. So what's the experience of being a performer to be like largely and getting introduced to that horrible sketch comedy? Yeah, it was, um, it was definitely different. I started sketch in about 20, I want to say 2016. Um, there's this group called Life Index Theater in DC. Uh, they were hosting auditions for, um, I think it was a musical improv team that I was interested in go- going for. And then uh, I, it just, I didn't really mesh with the team. And then they're like, oh, you should just join this other group. It's a sketch comedy group. And I had no idea what that was. Um, and I just go in the room and uh, it's, this, it's a writer's room. You know, people sitting around um, and we just started hashing out little scenes and sketches and uh, putting on monthly shows. And that's when I really started writing. So that's when I was writing like three or four sketches every month. Mm. Um, And it was, it's hard. I mean, I I always feel like actors get it easy. You know, you get the line. (laughs) You get the line, you just kind of make it funny and perform. All the work has been done in the writing and all the revising, especially um, with like, yeah, Bad Medicine where we have so many talented writers. Um, I write, I do write a lot and get sketches in shows, but it's real tough. Before we really dig into current day, I always ask people to go back and like, what were you into growing up? What made you laugh? So I was all about um, sitcoms. Um, I watched all the Seinfelds and all the Frasers and the, I'd say those were my two main sources of, you know, um, inspiration. Um, and, uh, yeah, really, I was just loved watching sitcoms and just loved following the comedy there. It's, it's so weird. Cause like, I feel like I watch Seinfeld all the time, but it also feels like I've only seen like a quarter of the episodes like like that syndication schedule like i only caught the same ones over and over again because I, I realized it the other day i was like i don't think i've seen you know like they mentioned like what well, was it called the contest mm-hmm. as like one of the big episodes yeah yeah i don't think i've ever seen that like fully 22 minutes like i i know i've seen pieces i've seen clips you know the master of the domain and everything but i don't think i've ever seen the full thing same thing with fraser like that like the the one thing of Frasier that I remember clearly and love hysterically is that silent bit. Oh yeah, where um Niles has to iron his pants. Oh yeah, yeah. With the, the it's music. it possibly is like one of the funniest cold opens to a, a TV show ever. Like, but at the same time, I know I've watched a ton of Frasier but I still feel like I've only seen maybe like a quarter of the, of the episodes. And I mean, it ran for 11 years. So that's probably like 250 episodes or whatever it is mathematically. So I'm sure, but yeah, those two big shows that like everyone loves. I I feel like, I don't know. I feel like I'm missing out on a lot of it. I mean, I was one of those people that would like, I also started and I'd only catch, you know, like one or two episodes, but then I went out and like, I bought the DVD sets. I started from episode one and watched it to the end. And then I did the same. And then I, I just do it like every year. I just rewatch pretty much like all of them. And it's so strange. Cause I think about like, I, I try to think about the shows I know I've seen every episode of, and the, the, the list is way shorter than, like for for a comedy nerd as much as I I I'd like to call myself, mm-hmm. there's not that many things I'm like fully like well versed in. Like it's kind of embarrassing that like I I'm looking around at my DVD shelf and maybe the the Scrubs before mm-hmm. before they did that last season where like there's like like students came in and I gave up on it. Oh yeah yeah the first few like the first 10 seasons of the Simpsons we can count because I totally fell off the cliff on those like even Arrested Development I, I didn't watch like the last two seasons on Netflix I don't know maybe I'm just really bad at comedy now no. <laughs> getting a complex and it's all out there I've got no reason not to watch it 
I'm just rewatching like clips from British panel shows and stuff now. Like I probably should just pick a sitcom and just start at the beginning. It's it's a great experience, especially when you forget it and you're like, oh, I and you also see a lot of new shows copying the old show's jokes. You know, they're like, do it again. Oh, when friends did the the turkey on the head, Mm. and I knew that was a Mr. Bean thing. I flipped out. I was so furious. Like, ah, uh, I don't think. Yeah, I don't think I ever watched Friends after that. Like, I was. I was like, this is almost. This is plagiarism. Like, uh, the, I, yes. I was going to say the closest like new show that I think that like like I, I feel like the sitcom realm is sort of not in its prime right now. But the closest show that I think is really well written is New Girl. Um, I'd say. That one is the closest to like the prime of Seinfeld and Fritcher. And even then I only got like two or three seasons oh, before I oh. gave up. Like, uh, what am I doing in my life? <laughs> I watch too much sports I don't care about. <laughs> it is <I'm>, <laughs> Like Maybe that's what. Um, okay, so sitcoms. What's your introduction to sketch comedy? Do you watch SNL? Do you watch any of the sketch comedy shows that are on TV? Um, my first intro to sketch comedy was, uh, I believe, it was sophomore year of college. This group called the Harvard Sailing Team. Have, have you heard of them? Mm-mm. So they're a sketch comedy group. They have nothing to do with Harvard or a sailing team. It's a great name. I really enjoy that name. <laughs> yeah, and they they came and they did a, a uh, show, and I just thought it was the funniest thing ever. It was I didn't realize it was a sketch show, and. Um, they hosted a workshop afterwards and I went in and uh, we worked, I joined the writer's room and uh, I just love that experience uh, so much that uh, that really, that's really was my first exposure to sketch. Um, and after that, um, yeah, it just sort of went so, off from- uh, So we talked about like how you come from this as a performer more than anything, like, or, you know, beginning it were you always an actor? Like, did you do like the high school drama and everything? Yeah. Yeah. So I was probably around ninth or 10th grade. I started acting and so I did tons of theater and drama there and um, did it all through college. Um, I did a lot of musical theater too. So I did a lot of, got into musicals in college. Um, And then, uh, but then I, I got into stand up too. So I sort of did theater and then I also had a stand-up group in college where um, uh, I got into like, you know, solo performing and mm-hmm. writing that material and um, crowd work and whatnot. So I, that was really, I had these two different things and sketch was really marrying those two elements, having that yeah. comedy with, in writing with stand-up and having the performance aspect with theater. So that's what I love about it. Took those two sides. Uh, throughout your, you know, the, the course of your high school and college run do you have a favorite role of any of the, the theater that you did uh yeah we did um it was a it was a youtube show called stephen king high school the musical um it was a 45 minute thing done by this this college this other college group and we redid it we were the first i think we were the only ones to actually do this show again um and it was basically high school the musical but all the characters were from stephen king Hmm. Um, and it was so stupid, uh, but so fun. Um, and, uh, I mean, it does sound like stupid fun, like, yeah. you know, in a world where we're getting touring shows of like golden girls, the puppet show, like, you know, that, that sounds great. That sounds like a great little diversion, great little fun bit of, yeah, but fun bit of fun. Like what's wrong with that? Um, is there a role in the world of, of theater or even musical theater? I don't know why I said it that way. Um, that is like a dream role for you. I really like the show. Um, something rotten. Uh, I heard of that show. Um, it was on Broadway three or four years ago. Um, and it's about, it's in Renaissance theater time. And basically the premise is there's these two writers trying to write the next big thing um, to beat out the antagonist who is Shakespeare. Mm. plays is like jerk. Um, and so they go to a fortune teller uh, to find, to steal his next big idea. 
And uh, the fortune teller tells them that the next big idea is called, um, he mixes it up and instead of Hamlet, he says it's called Omelet. And then he's like, wait, it's a musical as well. Um, so they spend the entire show trying to create a musical about an omelet. <laughs> and uh, it is as stupid as it sounds. <laughs> and I've always wanted to be in that show. That's yeah, it's one of those, it's one of the shows I've heard of. I don't think I've ever seen like any of the music or I've never seen, I've definitely never seen it live. I don't think I've ever seen like a clip of like a performance, which again is weird because I do like diving into musical theater on YouTube every once in a while. Like um, it should be on YouTube. Yeah, definitely check it out. Okay. So we talked about, you talked about stand up. Mm-hmm. how after, you know, while doing theater, you get the itch to do stand up. So what starts that? Like, what were you into as a stand-up fan? I really, Conan O'Brien was a big um, inspiration for me. I love, used to love to watch um, when he, I think he was on Late Night first. Then I, mm-hmm. I actually went to see him during his, like, three-week, what, three-week stint at The Tonight Show. You saw uh, Tonight Show taping. I saw him while he was at The Tonight Show. Oh, that's fantastic. Um and uh, then, yeah, it was like the next week he was he was off until the Conan show and now his podcast. But do you remember like who were the guests? Yeah, I remember Michael Phelps was one of the guests. Okay, that's not so good. Um, but that's all. I there, I forget <laughs> the other guests. <laughs> I'm sure I can look it up after with Michael Phelps. That might be enough of a clue. Um, um, yeah. So so what was it about Conan that made you want to start like? trickling into stand-up or was it just because he had the stand-ups that like that was your main exposure to them mainly uh i I really liked his graduation speeches um i don't know if you've ever seen those but he did a speech at harvard and then he did another one at dartmouth and what he was able to do which i think is like really tough is he was able to be exceedingly funny and then be exceedingly genuine and then go back to funny to close it out while still like with without kind of getting rid of how genuine this speech mm. was. Um, and he's able to like tie it together so nicely. Uh, that was like, that was so inspirational. I'm like, this is great. And I'm like, I bet I could kind of do this um, in front of an audience too. Yeah, I mean, you mentioned his like Tonight Show, his short stand The Tonight Show. And I very distinctly remember his, like the, um, his final speech like when he was saying goodbye like he is so good it was so nice like something about like not being cynical because that's like the real cancer in the world like yeah you know take and i was like yeah okay but then i'd go back the next week and i'm as cynical as like as ever so he also did i think he did this thing where he's like he was leaving nbc so he's like we've only got two weeks left so let's spend as much money as, as much yeah <laughs> but here's a bugatti veyron with a mustache yeah. <laughs> uh ruining like priceless pieces of art like all, yeah i definitely like conan o'brien i i i really believe he probably influences way more people than I, well, I'm not gonna say that because I think I think he knows how many people he influences because with him doing the podcast and like this new generation of, of people coming up, like they all say like Conan is a thing. Because I, like one of my favorite things ever is an old uh, a recurring bit on the old on the old late night show where it was like oh, what was the actual title of, of it was like Frankenstein shows you something interesting. <laughs> And it was one of his writers dressed as a Frankenstein and he would just like lead you through the hallways of 30 Rock. And eventually he would just lead to like a light switch. And it was just like, it's so stupid. <laughs> but so funny. Like, I think the one time it was like, uh, he, he's walking through the hallway and he sees Tom Hanks and he pushes Tom Hanks out of the way. Like, it's so, it's just so dumb. And like, but yeah, Conan and Conan show is fantastic. And I really can't wait for whatever he's doing next on hbo oh yeah i'm really looking forward to that <laughs> his podcast is it depends on who the guest is though i, I agree i think <laughs> I, I wish he get well you know he used he was doing those travel things which i really enjoyed a lot so i hope he yeah you know, i i i think he he i think he would be totally happy just to do that for the rest of his 
career. Like, just go to some place and make Jordan do something weird. Like, well, I think he's like that's what I think really cool about him is he's a step ahead of all the other late night hosts. Like, he's adapting to how comedy's evolving and how audiences are evolving. People don't necessarily want to watch, you know, a Tonight Show with two guests in the same format every night. And I think he's recognized that. So that's where he's been like adapting his format, changing how he delivers comedy. And I think that's really, uh, that's really cool. Yeah. And like all those remotes that he used to do, like, you know, whether it was Triumph at the people waiting for the Star Wars movie or the dog show or uh, he he recently talked about the the baseball game like where he went to the old-timey baseball game and like it's just so great like he, he was another one of those things that like is totally built for youtube and the online like video world love it um so when do you start doing stand-up i started i think it was probably sophomore year of college um, okay. and I, I did it for three years in college and then i did it for one year after college at open mics in dc and virginia how'd it go um (laughs) it went great i'm famous now um it was it was good i mean like i think the problem with it is i i loved writing it and i loved i didn't love there's like i think there's two things about it that kind of got me away from it. Um, one was the audiences were, especially in open mics, it was either, it was all the other comics waiting mm-hmm. for the spot. And it was the six friends that they required to bring for the entry level comics, who it looks like they've been dragged to like five too many shows. Yep. Um, so the audience is never, never in the mood uh, for comedy. Um, two, I got really bored of doing the same set. <laughs> That's... <laughs> You you basically just pinpointed both reasons why I never have tried stand up yet. Like, I can't imagine. Like, I, I'm sure, it, but at the same time, it, I'm sure it's the same way of like theater. Like, I can't imagine doing the same. I can't imagine being on Ham- in Hamilton doing that eight shows a week for years. Like, because there are a couple people that have been in that show for years. Like. Uh, I can't imagine doing the same thing night in, night out. And, you know, I'm sure they can say like, oh, it's like the little like, like intricate moments of like how this audience changes from here, like, and all that stuff. I'm like, yeah, that's fine. But you're still doing the same 50 minutes hour of material. Like, it feels repetitive and redundant. Like, mm. And what I found hard about it is, especially with stand-up is you kind of, like when you're first doing it, you can assess how funny it is. But after you've done it so much, even something that I thought was really funny and like killed the first time, I was not able to like find it funny anymore. So I couldn't really even like, I had a hard time delivering it because I'm like, is this funny anymore? Like, this is the 12th time I've said this. I don't find this funny anymore. Yeah. Like, and I, and maybe as sketch comedians, we don't get into that thing because I don't think we re- repeat certain things often like as much as you know there's certain sketches that I, I would love to see over and over again there's certain things that will always be funny to me but if, if I think about probably bad medicine and even how much you you guys travel because you've done most of the, the different festivals along the east coast and probably I'll probably count the midwest too you probably haven't done any sketch more than like 10 times. Yeah. I'd say there's maybe like, yeah, two sketches that hit maybe nine or 10. Yeah. Like everything else sort of like we get bored. Right. And, and, and I feel like that's good. <laughs> like, um, it, 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 there's certain sketches that I've seen people do repeatedly that I'm just like, all right, I, I am very close to walking out of this room because <laughs> I know when this is going to end. And I can walk right back in when it's over, you know, like when, when you've seen certain people in the city, like, like, you know, there's certain sketches in Philadelphia. I'm like, yeah, I don't ever need to see this ever again. Like, <laughs> um, but yeah, so that whole repetitive nature of it, like even, 
yeah, even with like a theater background, because you do, I mean, in college, you're probably only doing yeah, you only a couple of weeks. Two shows. Post-college, like, we do like eight to, I did 14 one time for a run. How'd that feel? Um, by like show five, you don't even have to think about it. Like you just go out and you like turn your brain off and you could go through the entire show without even thinking. And then you like turn your brain on at the end. <laughs> and that can't be good. <laughs> it's like, you sort of like know it so well that it's just like, Oh, like, yeah, that, that there's a part of me that feels like that's, that's not fulfilling, like fulfilling as like an artistic time. I think, you know, I think the thing about theater is it does end. So like you do like at least at least what I've been doing community theater it you do your run and then it's over so it is there are definitely those shows like if you have a matinee and a night performance where you're like oh a matinee like I don't need to do this twice today but <laughs> um, when you know that it's like this is never going to get recreated in this group of people yeah. never going to be back together like bad mass and like I know like, you know, down the line, Andy and I will probably be doing a sketch again. Um, but with theater, you have this unique group that's only there together this one time. So I think that, you know, it's going to go away. Yeah. Uh, adds that fulfillment. All right. So we talked about uh, you get into Laugh Index. You try to do musical improv. That doesn't work out for you very well. And then you get into a sketch room how do we get to bad medicine from there? Um, yeah, so I did that uh, for about six months. And um, the thing is there were just really no audiences. Like I was writing this material, I was performing and there were like two people in the audience. <laughs> and I was just like, well, in at a theater, at least, you know, we have like hundreds yeah. of people. So I was used to having an audience. So I'm like, this would be great in like a more like maybe let's up it up to a more professional setting um so i at that time i'd, I'd gotten a lot better at sketch writing um my sketches were performing well for the few people that saw them mm -hmm. and uh i felt pretty confident so i first was going to start my own group but i'm like i don't want to do that work so i, I googled <laughs> <laughs> I googled sketch comedy in DC and uh there I think there were two names that came up one was a draft house comedy at a sketch team um they're in Arlington I was, yeah I was about to say they're, at, they're more Virginia side yep and then uh, bad medicine and at the time bad medicine was maybe they were they were still they still had this thing at the bottom of their website that said hey you want to act and write email us so, oh, oh, so it was a point where they were still like, I don't, I'm not going to say it, actively looking for people, but they were still like, what's the word I want to say? Because I know that, you know, through the, the classes that Bad Medicine teaches at the DC Improv, they might, you know, grab a person from there. But like, it was like a cattle call, like, hey, yeah, we'll talk to you, whatever. Yeah. We don't need to know you. Like, <laughs> So, so you email them like, mm -hmm. and I email them my theater resume. And, <laughs> you know, I want to be as professional as possible. So I'm like, I'm like, look, I'm a performer. And then I email them three of the sketches that I recently wrote that I thought were like my best. Okay. Um, and I said, Hey, I'm interested. Let me know what you think. If like, let me know. Um, do you want to talk? Oh, uh, do you remember what the three sketches were? um i remember i remember two of them um one was about a group of people going uh to they're going camping and they were telling ghost stories but one of them was secretly a ghost and didn't want anyone else to know and keeps making like 90s references throughout and it is like outed as a ghost at the end um it was called ghosted um another one was about a person who just who's who wants to order the dvd box set of friends and accidentally orders a new friend um <laughs> <laughs> so those are the two i remember um they're both good premises i, I like them like were they ever done like did bad medicine 
like eventually pick them up and do them with with you or i didn't bring them over because i wrote them for the the theater it was just like hey this is my thing but i didn't want to have these i didn't want to like cross yeah sketches so i was like i'll just write new stuff that's fair how did it go how did those sketches go at the old with you know laugh index down there really well uh especially ghosted people if there's one that was requested to be repeated multiple times is that one because it was sort of like it was funny but it was also sort of a mystery and it had like the twist at the end was like the audience was figuring out that one of them was secretly a ghost Mm. as it went throughout the sketch um so audiences seemed to enjoy that um so i'd say that one was pretty popular have you done any like sketch comedy writing like classes with any of the theaters or anything i haven't i've taught them though (laughs) (laughs) that well and that's fine because like there's certain things i mean you don't need to go to the sketch comedy class uh i will extol their virtues but it's definitely not necessary like there's there are people like me who need deadlines who like that structure that comes with a sketch time class mm. is fantastic. But if you're a self-starter, meh, you, which I'm not. <laughs> like, uh, so, okay. So you're just taking your, you go into sketch writing basically like blind, like mm-hmm. you've taken writing classes in college and stuff. Yeah. But the inherent structures that are different to sketch comedy versus theater or, you know, in like a short one act, like, do you have an issue? Do you have a problem like adapting to writing sketch comedy? It was pretty, um, not initially. I think it was, I was naturally pretty good at writing sketches, but I was only good, you know, talent could only get you to like, okay sketches mm-hmm. i feel like when i joined bad medicine that was really when i had to up my game um and really kind of like take it from okay you know you could write a funny sketch that's generally good to like it needs to be really good otherwise we're not even going to consider it yeah. <laughs> um so that i really had to like question what i thought was funny versus what would be funny to the wide audience especially uh, at the writer's room How was the experience of that writer's room of of joining that bad medicine writer's room for the first time? It was terrifying Um, because I was used to in the first writer's room, every sketch I did, I'd get some minor revisions and it would be like, yep, this is great. And it'd be performed. Uh, I was like coming in like, ah, I'm comedy. Anything I write is comedy gold. And then I go in with my first sketch and uh, it was about, I want to bring it back, but it was about an office that fired people through musical fired people through musical chairs. Okay. Um, and I was like, "This is a great sketch. Um, I think it's going to do really well." And it just gets torn apart in the first Bad Medicine writers' room. Um, yeah, because I mean, I can. I, I haven't read the sketch, but I can. I can give you notes already. Like yeah. <laughs> uh, that was an, always an issue with me. Like looking back on my sketch time, like the first team I ever was in, we did not rewrite. Like mm-hmm. there was no, like it was, let's bring the sketch. Let's do it. Let's like, nothing was made better. And, you know, growing up 10 years later, I'm like, Oh, every sketch I wrote there. <laughs> now I could go back and like, just completely like chop it and then fix it. But yeah, I don't know why we didn't. As our laziness as a room, I guess. Joining Bad Medicine, like how what like roughly what year was this? Were you oh, did you start with Bad Medicine? It's been a while. I think it's 2018, maybe. Because I, I feel like I feel like you've come to every time Bad Medicine's been in Philly Sketch Fest. I didn't do the first one. That you were um, I wasn't there. Yeah, I, I, I think I was the second time they went to Philly. I was okay. 
I, so I, I missed the first one, but I think it's, I'd say like 2018, maybe late 2017 is when I joined. Okay. Um, with, we we're all in this world of like mid pandemic, post pandemic. How has the pandemic changed how bad medicine approaches like live shows or video? Um, I think it's really been taken a um, really pointed to the importance of having a strong social media presence and, you know, making sure you're doing Instagram, you're doing, you know, your TikToks. And um, so I think at least that was something I think we, we had six months where we each took we're in charge of making sure we were producing enough social media. Um, okay. And like there were jokes constantly being coming out while we weren't live performing. Um, it's also when we started um, making our sketch class virtual, which is really great and got um, our level one class at the DC Improv. Um, so we were able to do a lot more of those and get into back into writer's rooms. Um, I don't know if it's really, we did some Zoom performing. We did a show for UT, I think it was UT Dallas or UT Austin. It was a Texas University online. And um, it was just like, it was fine. It's just, it's not the same. It's weird. Yeah. yeah. Like Zoom shows are weird. Like when they're actually like show shows and not just hanging out like writer's room kind of things. Yeah, they're they're weird. Um, so, okay. Uh, you you laughed at the idea that you didn't, you never took a writing class, but now you're helped teach within like bad medicines, online uh, courses. So let's talk about that. How's the experience of teaching sketch comedy to new writers? I think it's been really great. Um, I think first I was like, Oh, I'm probably not qualified for this, but as, as I'm doing it, I'm like, I, wow, I like actually have learned a lot about comedy in the past 10 years. Like, yeah. <laughs> I, think, I think I can definitely um, do this. And just working with like, a, you know, working with Bad Medicine and being in all the writer's rooms and performances, you learn so much about different sketch styles, you know, uh, different um, ways of building a sketch. Um, you test different ideas out. So I'm, I feel like that was my comedy school. Um, going in all those writer's rooms and submitting materials and rewriting and um it's been really good and students have been really interested and uh uh we've yeah we've gotten some pretty talented students too yeah. um there's always a part of me that wants to like sneak into the class like with a fake mustache <laughs> <laughs> uh it's such a dumb idea but maybe one of these days i will <laughs> um and i always ask this about people that teach sketch comedy have you had the awful experience of like the racist writer that doesn't understand why he's being racist there's definitely been things where it's like you know maybe we want to tweak this joke a little or maybe we want to make this edit um i don't at least in the ones i've done i don't think we've at least i've had two where it was like two racist but i have had ones where people were like you know, you're there in a sketch comedy course and they're supposed to get feedback and adapt it. And they, they're like, they know what they want to write and they wrote it and they do not want to change it. Like that's, yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. I, yeah. I, I, I've experienced that as a student in the class where like, no, 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 this is good. This is funny. <laughs> yeah. I'm and I, like, I've probably been that person too. So, um, what can I do? <laughs> so, uh, we kind of skipped over it with, uh, I ask everyone on the podcast, do you have a favorite SNL cast member? Current, past? All time. Oh. You can pick anyone. I mean, can I say John Mulaney? <laughs> you, um, I, I'm okay with it. Like, um, I don't know if he's really a cast member. He was more of a writer. Um, yeah, he was a writer, but I mean, he was there for however long. Like, I mean, I like Jason Sudeikis as well. Um, Will Ferrell of course, is um, well, the thing about Will Ferrell is people either love him or hate him. Uh, I don't know anyone who's ambivalent about Will Ferrell. Um, and I think I think that the people that don't like Will Ferrell, I think that comes from his movies. Like, like if you just show them SNL, like they're it's all good. Like, 
no one's hating really on that but like some of the movies he made like people are gonna be like oh that's lazy blah 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 like whatever he did this one sketch on snl as a thanksgiving sketch where the premise is i think it's he like is chewing the food like a bird for his son to eat <laughs> Do you remember yes I, I know exactly what you're talking about it's him chris Catan is the kid because his teeth are weak or something yeah, yeah. so they have to chew that and it's i think i want to say juliana margulies was the host for some reason i'm picturing her no she was like she wasn't she wasn't the mom she was like the date and she yeah. was like the first time I met her in the house. And it's just so gross. <laughs> so funny. Like, and it's one of those things that like it had that had to be Will Ferrell doing it. Oh yeah. Like none of the other people on the like none of the other dudes on the cast could have played the hut the the hut, like the the dad as well as him. It wasn't Chris Contan, it was Chris Parnell. Like, <laughs> I'll find it. <laughs> I'll, I'll i'll look on peacock to see if i can if it's if it's up there but oh, yeah say actually um i didn't really get into snl too much later but i was a huge rowan atkinson fan and i used to watch his let's talk about rowan atkinson because he comes from sketch yeah like yeah. so how do you discover rowan atkinson i was in a high school assembly and two people performed um some of his sketches and I didn't know they were Rowan Atkins sketches. I thought they were so funny um, that I looked them up after and then I found the originals. Did, did they tell you that like um, that they were passing off his material? Like, yeah, yeah. I think they said, yeah, we're going to do some Rowan Atkins. Okay. Um, okay. So I, I got into that um, and they were doing um, welcome to hell. Okay. Uh, where he is welcoming the audience to hell and sorting them into groups. Mm -hmm. um, and then uh, something I actually talked about in Sketch Nerds a while back was Fatal Beatings, um, which is where he's inviting a, um, he's telling the parents that um, their son has been like really, has had really bad behavior recently. He's also dead, but he's had really bad behavior and he wants, wants, really wants to talk about the bad behavior. Um. <laughs> Rowan Atkinson, like I've I've talked about it before, where like British comedy didn't make sense to me until I until I saw Mr. Bean. Oh, yeah. Like all the British comedy I had seen, you know, because British comedy pre cable was all on PBS, mm -hmm. and it felt like it was all like old people shows. Yeah. Like like are you being served and glass of the summer wine and keeping appearances but then you know i stumble upon mr bean i'm like oh this is fantastic britain actually might be onto something like then you also have like monty python which is you know another kind of holy grail of sketch comedy first time i saw holy grail didn't get it <laughs> yeah didn't understand it 15 year old josh did not understand monty python and the holy grail i like they have um I, I did some of those, actually. I did direct a show with some Money by Thon sketches, and they have this one where they're trying to buy a mattress. Have you heard of this one? Doesn't um, sound familiar. I'm sorry? Doesn't sound familiar, no. Yeah, so there's a couple trying to buy a mattress, but if they say, I think it's if they say the word mattress, that the, the salesperson has to step into a box and sing the British national anthem. It's not explained why. Okay. <laughs> uh, and then more people keep joining in and like you know like they're still trying to buy this mattress but every time they say it like some ridiculous like everyone's like well now i have to step in the box and, <laughs> and you know and it's so stupid i think my first real um experience with with monty python was i think they john cleese and michael palin like was a were guest stars on snl on some random show in like 97 and they did bad paired at the end oh, yeah. and uh, uh it's it doesn't get the reaction because it's a 20 something year old sketch that everyone's seen yeah but like i was like okay this is fun yeah. like <laughs> and i, I want to say like my boy scout camp like would do monty python sketches like at campfires yeah which i feel is not worthwhile like 
they're not worthy of doing Monty Python sketches at campfires. You you can't do them at campfires. That's not the best place for that at all. Yeah, I feel like Monty Python was definitely like, when you asked me the SNL question, I had to think about it a lot because yeah, I was really, didn't get into SNL until like maybe like a few years ago, honestly. Yeah, until you were a sketch comedian. Like. Yeah, <laughs> well, I like Monty Python was sort of my intro. Um, yeah. Do you have a favorite Python? Um, probably, I mean, probably John Cleese. Yeah, <laughs> he's just funny. <laughs> He, he released a book on creativity that I thought was really good. It just was way more expensive for how long it is. Like, I think I bought the Kindle version for like 10 bucks and it only ended up being like a 60 page, like thing. I was like, this could have been a five ninety nine four ninety nine thing. Like, yeah. this is good, but <laughs> you definitely just stole $4 from me. Like, <laughs> curse you, John Cleese. So, okay. So for people who have never seen Bad Medicine, would you could you describe a bad medicine show like do you mm-hmm. think there's a, a specific tone mm-hmm. for a bad medicine show yeah it's it's usually it's it's a variety show so there's no usually we don't have we do runners sometimes but usually it's all different sketches they usually don't relate to each other um variety of writers too um and it usually everything skews uh there's two consistent things one we don't do a lot of political comedy which is weird for well i mean it might not be weird but for a team in dc yeah you would think that there might be a topical slant for sure it's yeah it's funny we just all generally agree like you know it's it's funny for a moment but if you want to like you know it we like our comedy to last (laughs) i am fully on board like uh there there's so much topical comedy on television Mm -hmm. it's so difficult to do it in live clubs theaters around the country like it's not worth the effort i feel almost exactly and then um it also skews dark i'd say usually there's like a dark undertone in all of our sketches hmm. i don't you, you would really think you're dark i i mean <laughs> everyone i've i don't i don't feel like we're like crazy dark but we do like any anyone I've ever invited to watch the show that ever invited people I'd perform with theater. They always say like, "Wow, like you like guys just stay dark the entire time." <laughs> like, mm. um, usually, there is some sort of dark undertone. Um, I don't think it's like crazy, you know, dark, but there is like some sort of undertone. Interesting. I would never describe you guys as dark. What? Well, well, I guess what would you describe? <laughs> not not dark, because I feel like philly comics are much darker (laughs) um there's there's darkness in certain things for sure but i wouldn't say throughout like i don't know yeah i mean if people think you're dark then fine i'm I'm not gonna argue with them (laughs) um so as as we're wrapping up uh because i think i've hit most of the stuff um we talked about you know uh starting in like the more legitimate theater world Mm -hmm. transitioning to improv to stand up and then finding your footing in sketch not taking any classes but teaching now what's something about sketch comedy that you would that you've learned without giving away the whole curriculum of your class what's something that you've learned from sketch comedy that you would pass on to a new writer um a few things keep it short you know don't especially like it could, wording too you know you don't need to a lot of intro sketch writers write like every character has like this giant monologue to respond to, and they really explain it out because they're like look i'm writing things but yeah. you know that's you know actors can move or do things yeah. um so keep it short and then don't hide what's funny and that was really tough for me um i always wanted to be like oh, you know, the audience will figure out what's funny later on. It's like, sketches are short. Make the joke obvious, then escalate that joke till it's crazy, you know, heightened. Um, So I'd say those are some key things I've learned. Two things I would have loved to have learned in my first sketch comedy writing class. Like, there's there's a video that I made in my first year of sketch comedy. um, And it's on the My First Sketch page. 
where I made a car commercial and it's legitimately 40 Chevy Chase puns <laughs> of like different movies he's in, different TV shows he was in. Uh, there are hints of the no, 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 no that he does in Caddyshack mm-hmm. and the music from Call- You Can Call Me Al because he's in the music video. <laughs> it's a car commercial leading up to the idea of a car called the Chevrolet Chase. But because that's the end of it, no one catches all the little until the end. Yeah. And even then, like I showed it to a couple of people, like my first year, it's like, show that to me again. And they're like, Oh, I get it now. Like, it's funny. Yeah. No one told me, Hey, say <laughs> Chevrolet chase at the beginning. <laughs> so we could like see all the puns throughout. Like that took me like five years to understand. <laughs> like, <laughs> I think that was the first note I received in a bad medicine writer's room. Yeah. Yeah. You don't have to hide the joke. Like, uh that's uh who one of like the snl like talking head shows like whether whether it was like an anniversary documentary or something someone's one of the probably like jim downey or one like the old like writers had been there forever was like yeah say the joke right away let let them know what the joke is that's fine (laughs) like (laughs) if they don't know what the joke is they're not gonna laugh and yeah that's stupidly easy enough to remember like yeah sure uh, and then finally, like, and, you know, I assume that you do enjoy still doing theater and everything, but like, why comedy? Why is comedy taking up so much of your life these days? Yeah, I just, I love making people laugh. I mean, I like making my friends laugh, family laugh, just doing kind of funny, weird things. And comedy is such a great way to do it. And um, one, the writer's room, everyone's at the same mindset. So you sort of heighten each other. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then just sharing that with a general audience, especially in, you know, post or like wherever we are in COVID times, yeah. um, it's, it's so important. And uh, I think people just coming up after a show and being like, that was so funny. I had such a good time. Um, when I... I always say I only invite people to shows that I think they're actually getting enjoyment out of. If I'm in a show, like if I'm in it's like a serious theater show, I might not invite everyone, but I'm like, I want them to like sit in the audience and be like, this is time I enjoyed. And I'm, this, I'm having more fun here than I would have doing anything else. And yeah. I think comedy delivers that. So I think that's why I like it. You, you mentioned something and, you know, I said we were wrapping up, but you mentioned something that I want to ask about. Do you get the same satisfaction from a dramatic role versus a comedic role? um or or even how do they feel differently to you as a performer when you're on stage i have a hard time doing straight dramatic roles unless it is you're doing a dramatic role to be counteract like the dramatic role is funny because everyone else is not dramatic um i do that's why i did a lot of like when i do theater i don't really do i I always say there's theater and then there's theater yeah okay Um, i always do the funny I always would do comedies. So okay. I'm much more of a comedy actor. So you're not doing Shakespeare's tragedies or? No, no. And okay. I, I did a, I actually did a, um, uh, a read for an audition in college for a friend of mine. And he was doing a drama and he didn't tell me. And the person was in AA and they were supposed to give this really dramatic speech in the audition, uh, this monologue. And I go in and I do it as a joke. And he comes up to me afterwards. He's like, JP that wasn't supposed to be funny. <laughs> I'm like, all right, I just can't do this. <laughs> then, then, then I'm not the right guy for you at all. Like, I'm like that's what I got. I'll go back to be the silly guy in the musical. That's fine. <laughs> I'm like, bring me some omelets. Um... <laughs> all right. Thanks, JP. Thank you so much. This has been great. JP is a member of Bad Medicine based out of Washington, D.C. You can follow Bad Medicine on Instagram at Bad Medicine DC. Check out their website at badmedicinecomedy.com. And subscribe to their podcast, Sketch Nerds, wherever you get your podcasts. And you can listen to the two episodes that I guessed it on. Bad Medicine is hosting Sketch Night, featuring Philly's High Drama and D.C.'s Brick Penguin on Saturday, April 9th at the D.C. Improv. 
Two shows, 7.30, 9.45. Tickets and more details available at dcimprov.com. My first sketch is a Philly Sketch Fest production. You can find out more information at phillysketchfest.com or on Facebook, facebook.com slash phlsketchfest. Follow Philly Sketch Fest on Instagram at phillysketchfest. The music on this episode is by the band of Nono, which you can check out at nonoband.bandcamp.com. Like my first sketch on Facebook, follow the show on Twitter, rate, review, and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. This is Josh Hyam. Thanks for listening. Go see some comedy. <laughs>